Yesterday was a great day. I love talking about ministering to children. It's just a special thing. I think it's because once I was a child. I don't know if it's that or not, but maybe not. If today when you walked in, we had people back there taking Polaroid pictures of each of you, a face shot, and we had a board up here, and we were putting all those pictures up on the board. First and foremost, you'd be looking for yours, I'm sure. But after that, I would ask a question. What do all those pictures have to do with children's ministry? And I'd get various answers because I actually do this when I, when I do different trainings and stuff. And people are going, well, they're influential, you know, speaking of adults, and they have this and they have that. And they usually don't get the thing behind what's so significant about adult face pictures. And then I tell them, here's the deal. All those faces once were children. They were once children. And we don't consider how fast life goes. We don't consider oftentimes the reality that our 12-year-old in just 10 years is going to be 22 we just think they're always going to be 12. It doesn't work that way. What does that mean? That means they're going to go into life and society affecting many. And as, as it was just spoken, it's a staggering statistic between the years 4 and 14 is when lives are actually committing themselves to Jesus Christ if they do. Another 10% goes up into 19. There's 10 more percent that come to know the Lord between 15 and 19. That's a high percentage. We always think it's someone older. That's why Jesus said, you know, let the little ones come to me, for such is the kingdom of God. It's, it's a pleasure in being able to share things pertaining to all of this with the children Today we're going to have, uh, uh, I'm going to share, and the title of it is Saul or Paul. So if you would, turn to Philippians 3 with me. There's something going on in this nation uh, that concerns me, it concerns a lot of people. People are writing books about it. They all see the problem. Now, I'm not sure that I've read a book yet that has the answer, but they see the problem. And the problem is this, that three out of four youngsters, as they get into their late teens, early 20s, if the statistics are right, are walking away from their household faith. Josh McDowell wrote a book that's called The Last Christian Generation. He believes we may be seeing that before our very eyes. There are other books that are out. And all these books see the problem. Now, I don't know if it's that radical. I know they've done all kinds of research. I'm not positive it's that radical. I have four children, 16, 18, 27, and 29. And they are all strongly walking with the Lord. So in my household, I don't see that. But these books are saying that's there. 
They're saying that there's a real issue happening before our very eyes in this nation. The only difference I have with them is that I think they're taking us in the wrong direction again for their conclusion of how to change it. And we're going to look at that. I believe Paul has given us in the book of Philippians the answer to what's going on. It's right there before our very eyes. And so let's dig in and take a look. And we're going to start in, in the third chapter. And we're going to, take, we're going to go through as much as we can time. Um, don't know if we'll have enough time to go all the way through down to verse 11, but we're going to try. So let's start off in verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Let's stop there. There's always a reason to rejoice in the Lord. Now, he doesn't say, finally, my brethren, rejoice in circumstances. Pretty tough to rejoice in some of our circumstances. Some of them are very painful. Some of them are very stressful. And he doesn't say, oh, man, rejoice in those things. He says, rejoice in the Lord. What's the key there? When we are rejoicing, or I shouldn't say rejoicing, but when we're dealing with our circumstances, what are we looking at? We're looking at ourselves. We're looking at the thing that's going on around us. That's why he's encouraging us. No, don't do that. That will make you more depressed. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, in order to rejoice in the Lord, what do we have to do? We have to pay attention to who he is. We have to be thinking upon him. We have to be thinking upon what he has done for us, what he is in the process of doing for us. I think one of the greatest things we can do is find a book about God's attributes, who he is, because the enemy is always lying to us about who God is, always. He doesn't want us to know the truth that our God is loving. Our God is long-suffering. Our God is pure. Our God desires the best for us. You know, how many times do we think that God really is on our side? He really is in our court. He really is wanting the best for us. The accuser of their brethren is always telling us otherwise. And so when we rejoice in the Lord, you know, our circumstances are still there, but we read the joy of the Lord is what? Our strength. It's His joy that is our strength. And as we're rejoicing in Him, those circumstances, yes, they're still there, but we have a tendency to be able to put them in perspective. But when we're just checking out our problems, our issues, man, we have a hard time putting things into perspective. Rejoicing in the Lord is one of the greatest safeguards against, the most, against most of the dangers that confront us. And yet we, we, we can read over this first verse really quick. Finally, my brother, rejoice in the Lord. And we move on. Rejoice in the Lord. You know, it's like, I don't want to rejoice in the Lord. I want to, you know, bask in my problems. I want to tell everybody about my problems. You know, and I'm not sure what that does. But as we think on the Lord, what it is doing is it's keeping us away from thinking about ourselves. Now, to some that might sound like, well, that's a bummer. I like thinking about myself. 
I mean, I really liked myself, you know? Those pictures I refer to, man, you're going to be looking for yourself before you look for anybody else. I like me. I love me. I want to hang out with me. And our whole society is that way. And we're being trained. It's all about us. Forget about the other person. So when I'm rejoicing in the Lord, I can't concentrate on me as much as I like to. Now I've got my attention somewhere else. Paul is telling us that's what it's all about. Our focus is a big part of life. And where we're focused is extremely important. And there's probably nothing more depressing. I know this comes to a shock. There's nothing more depressing than focusing on yourself. At first, it's kind of like, yeah, I like that. You get depressed over it, and you don't even realize that you're the one that's depressing you. But the minute you shift and you rejoice in the Lord, it's like, yeah, that's good. That's very good, because God is good. And we focus on so many other things than God. We don't rejoice in his faithfulness. Now, there, there can be someone thinking, well, yeah, but Paul's famous. He's in the Bible. He can tell us to do whatever. Paul was writing this, telling us to rejoice in the Lord in prison. Unjustly in prison. That's about the worst thing that can happen. Prison and then unjustly put in prison. So Paul's he's in reality. He knows what's going on. He knows the struggles that are happening. Now what he's talking about when we read, um, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but, is, uh, but for you is safe. He's going to be talking, he's referring to what he's going to talk about in verse 2. But I want to talk just briefly about Paul is saying it's not tedious for him to remind them again and again and again. You know, one of the hard things as a senior pastor, which I am not one, God has not called me to do that. That's a calling. But for Pastor Rich, to every week have something new and fresh, week after week, month after month, year after year. And sometimes there's this great pressure, you know, or, or you'll say, well, he's already said that. He said that last week. And Paul here is saying, hey, look, it's not tedious for me to remind you over and over and over again. These are truths that we need to know. And we forget them. We forget that we're supposed to rejoice in the Lord. And so he's going, it's not tedious for me at all. It's safe for you. He's saying it's safe for you spiritually. Every time you come here, and you may hear the same thing again and again, What's being said is what is safe for you spiritually to be reminded over and over again. We are forgetful. So he goes on to say, beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. Now, for you dog lovers, he's not talking about your puppy. Okay, he's not talking about your household pet. We've got a dog. 
I like dogs. Sometimes. No, he's talking about what was taking place. He is actually talking to the Philippians about people. All right? And these people are well known in the church. But he's using these illustrations to explain them without using their name. He's saying, beware of dogs. What's that? They had packs of dogs that roamed the countryside then. And if those dogs bit you, it could be a bite of death. They were wild dogs. And when you saw that pack coming toward you, you went for cover. And he's saying, beware of what they're teaching you. These Judaizers, these legalists, beware of what they're teaching you. They're going to tell you, they're going to try to tell you that there's something more than the gospel. There's something more than faith in Jesus Christ to save. Beware of them. Their bite could kill you. And then he goes on to describe beware of evil workers, which to me is staggering because what he's in, in reference to, what he is saying is beware of religious people. Beware of religious leaders. Beware of religious teachers. And, and that's powerful. You know, there's something about being deceived in this world. And they tell you to, you know, invest here or, or do this or buy that and that will increase and so forth. And, and they're lying to you and you lose all your money or whatever. That's bad. But there's something much worse. And this is what Paul's getting at. <clears throat> Beware of evil workers. What he is saying is... What they're telling you can lead you into eternity in a mistaken way. You can go to a place where you weren't planning on because you're listening to these religious people. and he's, he, They know who he's talking about. And they know what he's saying. There's nothing more but the cross. There's nothing more but the blood of Jesus Christ. There's nothing more than... Simple faith in Jesus Christ. It's not going out and being circumcised again. It's not following this rite or this ritual or worshiping in this church. Or... No, not at all. Today, on planet Earth, more people will be led to hell through religion than any other means on Earth. We worry about all kinds of different things that come our way. But the enemy uses religion because it separates. It's man trying to get his way to God. And God has come and said, here I am. It's very simple. It wasn't simple for him. And oftentimes we give the pass to religion. Well, isn't church religion? Better not be. Better not be. Church should be relationship. What he goes on to say about uh, beware of the mutilation, and he's going to be speaking of this, he's saying, um, 
That was your religious concept. That was what you thought made you better. That's what thought you thought made you uh, acceptable in God's eyes. And, and he says, you know what? We are, and, he, and that's the next verse, verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. What Paul is saying is, we're circumcised in the spiritual way because we worship God in the spirit. It's a spiritual circumcision that he's talking about. And if you go back and do a physical circumcision, it's just mutilation. There's nothing there. We worship God in the spirit. I love that. We no longer have to do all these different regulations and rites and rituals. We can come boldly before the throne of God because of what Jesus has done for us. In uh, John 4, verse 23, we're told, But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshiper will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. That's why we rejoice in Christ Jesus for what he's done. And then he goes on to say, uh, but you know what? Have no confidence in the flesh for you being saved, for you somehow, some way pleasing God. Don't have confidence in the flesh. And I guess I have to ask the question to each of us, to myself included, what's my confidence in? As a Christian, what's my confidence in? I hope that's so, but sometimes we have confidence. If I do this, if I do that, God is going to be more pleased with me. God is as pleased with us as he can be. You know why? Because he looks at us through Jesus. You know, we look at ourselves and go, oh man, how in the world could God be pleased with me? I'm always doing something wrong. And so then we don't believe that God is pleased with us. You know what gets us entrance into the kingdom of God, to the throne room of God? It's not my works. It's not what I do. It's not because I teach a Sunday school class. I'm on the worship team. I'm an usher. I do sound. It's not. It's the work of Jesus Christ and what he did. And God looks at me through Jesus Christ. And then we know that we're called righteous. Each one of you, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, is righteous. And don't make the mistake you think you're righteous because of you. Our righteousness is but what? Filthy rags. Our righteousness is because of Jesus Christ. Man, is that a reason to rejoice in the Lord or what? No, I think I'll pick my circumstances. No, rejoice in the Lord. It's... All right. Now, Paul is talking about the reality that he understands legalism. He did it all. 
He was one of the four leaders of that. And what he wants to go along and say and tell us, he's going to do this in verse 5. He wants to explain why he at one time had such confidence in his flesh. Who he was. He was the man. You know, when Paul walked places, people recognized that's Paul. Actually, at that time, they were recognizing that's Saul. There goes Saul. What a man of God. What a religious man. I mean, he was known. Verse 5 goes on to give his position in the flesh. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee. Paul says, I know legalism. I've done it. Let's take a look at some of those a little closer because I think uh, some interesting things are here. Circumcised the eighth day. What he's saying is, I was a true Jew. I, I wasn't a, a mixture. I was true. All right. I had godly parents. My line was pure Jew. I was Jewish. Circumcised the eighth day. That was the requirement. There were other requirements when they were to be circumcised, but the pure Jew had to be done on the eighth day. And what he was saying was, look, I was religious. I know religion. So he's laying that out. And, he, and as he's sharing these things, they understand what he is saying. Of the stock of Israel, that was a very important title. And they understood. That he's talking about that he's... Uh, I, I have the Jacob's blood running through my veins. I am from a good set of parents. So he's telling them, I started off pretty good. You know, I, I'm thinking pretty good about myself. I got good parents. They came from good parents. And he goes on, of the tribe of Benjamin. That's like belonging to the best family. He's bragging. He's saying, look. This is, this is me. This is what I was. Uh, the first king of Israel came from the tribe of Benjamin, Saul. It's believed that most likely he was named after the first king. Saul, so, you know, even my name, it's gold. You know, he's really letting him know who he is. A Hebrew of the Hebrews. Both his parents and that were, were pure in their Jewishness. He was a Hebrew that sprung from Hebrews. He's laying out his qualifications. Concerning the law, a Pharisee. A Pharisee represented the very best in Israel. These were, they knew the word. Not only were they religious, but they knew the word. They were very fundamental in their beliefs. They believed in the resurrection. They believed in miracles. Uh, they believed in uh, the integrity of the scriptures. He knew the word of God. One of the books tells us the reason that our kids are going away is because they don't know the first 11 chapters of Genesis. He knew them, and he was Saul. Very interesting to me. He prayed regularly. He was a Pharisee, and he wanted them to know that. 
Verse 6, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul believed that he was doing God's will by persecuting the church. He's making reference to these people that are coming in and they're telling you different things. They're telling you that things that are not true according to the word of God. But what I did, I went out and sought after you guys. And I was going to imprison you and try to kill you. He says, zeal? Man, I had zeal. These guys got nothing, these Judaizers that are coming in. I had zeal. It was real. And he was doing that because he believed he was doing God's will. We can do things that we think is God's will and it's not even his will. That's why it has to be according to the word of God and what the word has to tell us in doing this. He was a religious person. He was full of zeal. He tells us here, I carried out all my religious convictions. I was a doer of the word. I was devoted to my beliefs. Wow. This is, this is like, if, we, if our kids were like this, we would be happy. Living out their convictions. Knowing the word of God. Religious. Having all the answers. We would be happy. Then he goes on to say, concerning the religiousness which is in the law, or the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul wasn't saying he was sinless. Paul wasn't saying he was perfect. He was saying he was blameless. He took all the letters of the law and he followed them. Man, we'd go, that's a good kid. Wow. We just got to discharge the persecuting of somebody. And the rest sounds so wonderful, so religious. He says, I kept all the commandments from my youth. This was Paul before becoming Saul. And today, I think what's happening with our youth again is we're being told, learn more things in your brain. We are absolutely forgetting about our heart. And these new books are sending us down the same road in a different direction. It's going to come to the same ending because it's not about being religious. Verse 7. But what things were gained to me? He's telling us now that all those things he believed were gained. That's what he strived for his entire life. That was gain for me. To know my Bible verse. To be able to repeat my Bible verse. To be able to tell people what Christianity is all about. To know all the right cliches to say. That was once gain to me, Paul is saying. But these next words are powerful. These I have counted loss for Christ. What he's saying is when I met Jesus on the road to Damascus, all this stuff that I thought was gain, I count as loss. For the excellence 
of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, he said. You know what in our mindset that says to us most of the time? Okay, the excellence. Okay, excellence means really like, yeah, good stuff. Of the knowledge. Oh, yeah, I need to get more understanding. I need to get more books about Jesus. And I need to read more about Jesus of Christ Jesus, my Lord. That's not what he is saying. The word knowledge there is a word called gnosko in the original language. Gnosko means to know by experience. Not to know by book. Not to know more about something. It's to know more of the person. And he is saying that I gave up all of my religiosity. That I may come to know Jesus. On that road to Damascus, that was his first occasion of coming to know him. I have people come up to me and go, oh, I know God. You know God. That's, That's interesting. And they say it in a way that I need to do more now. You know God. God who's everywhere at one time. God who has all knowledge. God who is full of love, long-suffering. You know God. They make it like that's all they need now. Well, Paul's here going, you know, on the road to Damascus, I came to know him. And here it took place in Acts 9. And as... Paul was lying there on the ground. The Lord spoke to him and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's been hard for you to kick against the goads. And Paul said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord answered, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And Paul immediately said, what do you want me to do, Lord? What do you want from my life, Lord? We always get these calls of, We need help in the children's ministry. We need help doing this. We need help fixing our hair. I don't know. We we need help. That's not what's happening here to Paul. Paul had been touched by the living God. And what's the next thing he says? Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want with my life? I'm convinced the problem when we don't operate as a body in Christ is not that we can't or don't. It's that our relationship, our fellowship with Jesus Christ is lacking. Because when we come into the presence of God, we realize what he's done for us. He saved us from hell. He saved us from eternal damnation, punishment. And what can you do but say, God, what do you want from me, my life? That's when it happens, when we're touched by the living God. And we need a touch from him. He's talking about this whole thing 30 years later. And verse 8 tells us, Yet indeed, I also count all things lost. What he is saying is, I still, after 30 years of watching what I gave up, I gave up my family. I gave up my prestige. I gave up my position. I gave up everybody wanting to come and talk to me. 
I still, 30 years later, believe that. But what's interesting, he goes on to say, for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, in whom I have suffered the loss of all things, he's still suffering that loss, and count them as rubbish. Why? That I may gain Christ. Do you count your life as rubbish? Or is it so personal to you that that's all that matters? You are one of the most unhappy persons in the world, if that's the case. Seeking yourself. Back to self again. Joy comes from focusing on Jesus Christ. Fulfillment comes from focusing on Jesus Christ. I often talk about the if-onlys. wasn't planning on sharing this, but I think it's a good time. The if-onlys. We often carry the if-onlys around. This is how it works. If only I had a husband. If only I had a wife. If only I didn't have that husband or wife. <laughs> if only I had a job. If only I had a better job. If only my kids would. If only my car would. I would then be happy. Happy. No, you won't. You just continue to follow the, the road of misery. Those things will never fulfill you. Ever. Whatever you're chasing for happiness will not fulfill you. I've been on planet Earth long enough to know it because I've chased some of those if-onlys. And you get to the end and you grab it and it's gone. The only thing that will fulfill us, he says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. That's where we get our fulfillment. No place else. And if we can't be fulfilled in our situation right now, our circumstances right now, it's because we aren't going to Jesus. Paul went through all kinds of chaos in his life and still looked at all the stuff he let go as rubbish for the excellence of the experiential knowledge of Jesus Christ. 30 years later, after he has experienced him on the Damascus Road, he is saying, oh, I know him, but oh, my whole desire is to know him more, to know him more fully, to have more of that fellowship with him. That removes all your if-onlys. Coming to Jesus Christ in fellowship, in communion, in oneness. And Paul's laying it out for us. He's telling us this is the way it is. Paul lost Everything to follow Christ. And he had tremendous zeal. Tremendous knowledge of the word of God. Oh, that's what our kids need now. Yeah, they need more understanding of the word of God. And then they're going to be just fine as they walk through life. Wrong. If our kids haven't come into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and count all those things in their life as rubbish, for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, they're going to fall too. You know why? Because they're no different than the adults that are falling. We got books about kids that are falling, but we got adults falling. Because we're chasing the wrong things. We're trying to find fulfillment in materialism. It's not there. Jesus came to earth 
to pay the penalty for our sin. And what is required from us is to ask for that forgiveness. Think on this with me. We talked about this yesterday, a speck. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Pretty simple. But do we do that? Are we willing to do that? He has given forgiveness of sin. The only sin that he can't forgive is those who reject him. Every other sin he has given forgiveness for. It wasn't an easy road to give us that forgiveness. God came down to earth and became like us. And allowed, as I would say in a children's ministry, mean men to do mean things to him. And what's he asked of us? To confess our sin. He asked for confession. Which is harder to come down as God himself and die on the cross? Or to say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me of my sin. And then say, praise you, Lord. Thank you that you give me forgiveness of sin. This is a huge issue. Over 60% of people that find themselves in institutions because they aren't all there are there because of guilt. They can't find forgiveness. If they would just reach out to Jesus and get their forgiveness, that guilt would go away. Are you living with guilt? He will take it. Jesus loves us. Verse 9, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which comes from God by faith. People in the world put down faith. Oh, come on. Well, we live in faith, whether it's a religious faith, whether it's about something to do with God, or if it's just trusting that the overpass won't fall on our car as we go by. We always are living in faith. Live in faith, we hit this light switch, it's going to go on and it won't blow the building up. There's all kinds of faith we live in. And what Paul is saying is, I have my faith grounded and based in God and what he has done through Christ Jesus. What's your faith in? What's your faith in? What's your if only? What are you chasing? Aren't you tired of chasing it? There's a loving God that's crying out from the cross saying, I love you. I love you if you're 10. I love you if you're 14. I love you if you're 18. I love you if you're 20, 30, 40, 90, 100. I love you. And I died for you. That we would once again have a relationship because sin separates us from God. His forgiveness brings us back into that fellowship. 
And he wants fellowship with you. He doesn't want performance from you. He wants fellowship with you. We think we have to perform for God. Got to live up to a standard. How foolish. What kind of standard can we live up to? We know ourselves. We know the truth. We know what goes on behind closed doors. We understand. It's Jesus is our standard. He is offering it all. And foolish men and women say, ah, I can make it to heaven. Nobody's going to accomplish what Saul was. And yet, are we trying to make that happen? Are we having confidence in our flesh? I'm afraid we do so often. Our confidence needs to be in Jesus Christ and the finished work on the cross and what he's done for us so that we once again, we don't leave it there. Oftentimes, that's where we leave it. All right, I'm saved now. Cool, great. I'm going to heaven. I got my ticket. He did all that so we would have fellowship with him. John 17, 3 says, This is eternal life, that you may know God the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. No, again, is gnosko. It again means to have experiential relationship with him. That means talking with him, listening to him. And how do you do that? You know, I have not found that radio station yet that he's talking to me. There's a lot of pages in this book. This is God's word, his love letter to each of us. How we read it oftentimes is why we may not have that fellowship with him. If you can understand that these are his words, he put them through primarily the Jewish culture, through people, by way of the Holy Spirit, but those are his words to each of us. And if you will treat it the same way words come to you from a friend or a neighbor and then respond back to his words, you will find a fellowship like you've never found before with him. Because the Bible claims to be alive. It's a living book. And he wants to talk with us. And he has talked. Are we listening? When a scripture comes along and it says whatever, I use this as an illustration, uh, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. We look at that and we go, yeah, yeah, all of sin and fall, yeah, okay. That's about my neighbor. If we would look at that and realize that he is saying that to me at that moment, right then and there, he's looking for a response back. And one person may say, God, thank you. I'm in the all. I am such a sinner. And thank you for that forgiveness. Another person may go, oh, wow. You're speaking to my heart right now, Lord. And there's something I know you want me to get right. And thank you for the forgiveness. And I'm just going to confess right now. And as many people that are in this room, God can speak to us differently about that verse. But what we do, we go, hmm. We analyze it. Hmm, that's interesting. Hmm, 
And then we close the book instead of responding to him. This is an act of faith. And guess what, people? There's only one thing that we're told that pleases God. Out of Hebrews 11, verse 6. It's impossible to please God apart from faith. We have to believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. If you seek me, he says, you will find me. The problem's not finding him, it's seeking him. And today, as we close, that's your question. What are you seeking? Where are you headed in this life journey of yours? Are you seeking all these material things, wealth, fortune, fame, that my kids would grow up in a right way? What is it you're seeking? You'll find those things that you're seeking oftentimes. But if you aren't seeking the living God, I'm afraid you may not find him in a fellowship manner. And I need to close in this. I shared this yesterday, and I think it illustrates it very well so you don't get the enemy lying to you. I was born in Interline. When I was a kid, at nine years of age, my dad left. I became a monster kid. And I broke fellowship a lot in my family. But I was still an inner line. The only way I could change my last name would be go down to the courts and change it and say, I don't want to be an inner line anymore. I want my last name to be Superman. That's the only way I can change it. I was an inner line, I broke fellowship all the time but I was still an inner line. You may be a, a child of God and not experiencing the fellowship of God. And the enemy comes in and says, I don't think you're a Christian. And yet you may be, but you aren't experiencing what God has offered you through fellowship with him. You feel a distance. You feel off. You know you love God. You may go, my life doesn't really match up to that. So maybe I'm not a believer. Chances are you are. Maybe you aren't. But fellowship may have been broken. I would challenge you today to make sure your fellowship with him is right. Whether you have a relationship or not, meet with Jesus, and you can do it right now. I'm going to close in prayer. Father, <clears throat> we thank you for your word. We thank you for the guidance. We thank you for your love. And if there be anyone here that does not know you, Lord, I pray that you would cause them to be serious about finding out who you are. And for those that know you, Lord, I pray that you would cause them to be serious if they feel afar off, uh, serious about their fellowship with you, Lord. Speak to their hearts. Minister to their hearts. Lord, may you pour out your spirit upon them. May they not feel a, a work issue. May they realize that you've done it all and you just want fellowship with them. You want to be with them. Father, that's what this life's about right now. 
So may you build up a church, a body of people that just want to be with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together.